Okay, Psalm 102. <clears throat> Let's read the first 11 verses here. And again, as we're reading <clears throat> this, I want you to read it in this fashion. That when you read this, I want you to imagine in your heart our Lord praying this. That the incarnate Son actually praying this to God the Father. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass." And you'll recall that, at least in these 12 verses, there's only one verse that has requests. The rest of it is descriptive of his state. This psalm is a prayer of the afflicted one. One who is at the end of his strength. The one who is having daily oppression. And it is crushing him to this place that he would actually cry out, verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. When I call, answer me quickly. Answer me without delay. And what we've learned here in this psalm is that we have the incarnate Son who is describing His days. We saw that in verse 3. For my days have been this way. Verse 8, my enemies have reproached me all day long. Verse 11, my days are like this. Verse 23, He has shortened my days. Verse 24, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. We're looking at the Son of God in His humanity. And folks, I do think that there is a reluctance in our spirit to really look at the Son of God in this fashion. We know from Philippians that He humbled Himself, didn't He? And became obedient even unto death This type of death. The death of a cross. And when we consider Him in His humanity, we realize that His days 
are reflective of some measure of our days as pilgrims. That there are days in which we feel in our soul, Lord, hear my prayer. Meaning we're feeling He's he's not, right? Or let my cry for help. I've been crying out for help. Help me. Or you may feel like the clouds of the day have hid God's face from you, His favor, His presence. Don't hide your face from me. Let your ear hear me. When I call, don't delay. Answer me without delay. And I think all believers to some degree in some measure understand a little of this, but when you look at it here in the text and you think about the sinless, spotless Son of God who is without sin, you would think, well, it's that kind of person God would answer quickly. Right? You would think it's that kind of person that would not experience trouble. You would think that it's that kind of person. I mean, if I could just walk before the Lord sinless, then the sun stays shining and things fall into place and my path is always straight and I always know what to do. You would think it would be that way, but what we're learning as we open up our Old Testament, we're seeing that the incarnate Son really has taken on our humanity, hasn't he? Not our sinfulness, not at this point, but He has taken on our humanity in an Ecclesiastes world. This is how we live as pilgrims and strangers here in this life. And we learn that the incarnate Son walked in the way of God the Father, but as He walked in that way, God the Father weakened Him. He didn't become self-sufficient. He became more dependent. He didn't become self-strengthening. But he actually was the place where he could say that he walks not in his own strength, but in the strength of God. God the Father broke down the normal bodily strength during the course of his life. And folks, when you look at the circumstances of the Son of God, in His humanity, you really come to understand that if we saw all this that we just read, just these 12 verses, if we saw all this happening in a believer, we would think that God is judging them, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. But He's not doing that. He learned obedience by the things that He suffered. He learned obedience as a man in that fashion and became qualified by being joined in our infirmities. He became qualified to be our high priest. And we as God's people are called to be priests. We share in that conformity unto His death. 
And folks, our Lord's response to his circumstances, whether man thought that this was God approving him or whether man thought that this was God disapproving him, he just was committed to walk in the way of the Lord. And that's how we need to be. When our days are dark and we know the Lord is there, but seemingly it seems like He has gone from us, we've got to walk His ways regardless of our circumstances and regardless of what those circumstances may tell you. We know from the book of Romans that our circumstances and our suffering yells at us, God doesn't love you. Did God the Father love the Son? He did. He doesn't take away His love for us just because we enter into His sufferings. And folks, He just wouldn't move away from taking up daily His cross. And His response to those circumstances was not to depart from the path, but in the path to pray. And when you look at these circumstances, it really helps you understand how our Lord could be so exercised about His circumstances that He would spend all night in what? All night in prayer. Would you call that an exercised person? This is our Lord. And we learned in verse 3 that He describes His condition in terms of a burnt offering. We learned in verses 4 and 5 that the afflictions that came into His life struck His heart. The very core of His being. We learned in verses 6 and 7 that He describes His condition in terms of unclean animals. And he talks about his, des- his desolation and his extreme loneliness. And yet he was not what? He was not alone. But from our perspective, he was alone. His circumstances and his afflictions indicated to outsiders that he had been abandoned by God to die in desolation. Now that brings us to verses 8 through 10, in which in verses 8 and 9, he begins to argue in his, from his circumstances from his enemies. Did our Lord have enemies? He did have enemies. If you're walking in the way of the Lord, will you have enemies? What do you think? You think if you walk in the way of the Lord, everybody's going to love you? Well, God's people will love you. God Himself will love you. But no, He had enemies. In verses 8 and 9, He says, My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Folks, outside of his afflictions that were affecting him internally, my heart smitten, he had also external affliction. 
And that came from two people. First of all, it came from his enemies, people who were hostile to him. What did they do? Well, they reproached him, verse 8. They taunted him. The word reproach or the word taunt means to insult or to make a remark to try to get anger out of the other person or to make a remark that would challenge the other person or to provoke them. Did our Lord's enemies do that? The answer to that is yes. Even Satan himself used Peter. When Peter said to our Lord about going to the cross, he said, God forbid. That was an enemy statement, wasn't it? And he turned and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because your interests are not the interest of God's, but of man." You ever had anybody make a remark to you that was intended to cast insult on you as a believer? Or to try to provoke you to anger? You know, lost people love to do that. They love to try to get you to sin so they can point it out. Or you make a statement and it's challenged. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about, I'm quoting King James here, talks about the contradiction of sinners. Where you make a statement of truth and they what? They just rebut it. That is reproaching someone. That is taunting someone. And his enemies actually made a mockery of him. Look at verse 8. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. That's what the word deride refers to. It refers to a mockery. To mock somebody is to make an absurd misrepresentation of that person. It can refer to an imitation of someone. Like you would take a gesture, or you would take an action, or you would take something they say and, and, and imitate it in a mocking way or a sarcastic way. They used his name, his person, as cursing. This is the life of our Lord. And folks, there's no way when you have enemies like that that it doesn't cause you grief. It doesn't cause you sorrow. It can cause you anger, can it? And folks, the effect of this approach and the effect of this deriding was an intensity of inward sorrow that robbed him. Look at what it says in verse 9. For I have eaten. Everybody see that? I've eaten. And look at verse 9 again. My drink. He's talking about his food and drink. How many times do you eat and drink in a day? This is what he says. My food was ashes. And my meat was my and my drink was my what? Tears. My tears, my weeping. 
Folks, there's a sorrow that we have that really hurts. But you can kind of rise above it. You bear it in your soul, but you kind of rise above it. But when your sorrow turns and you begin to eat it and drink it, what are you doing? It's coming right back at you, right? Your sorrow is becoming a nourishment over and over and over and over again. This was what was going on in the heart of the Incarnate Son. And folks, I could say this, did He have enemies? Yes. And the enemy's reproach and mockery was accomplishing what they intended. They intended to cause him grief. Was it working? Yes, it became his food and his drink. You would think that our Lord would have gotten the nourishment of edification. You would think that people would bring him food and drink. But instead, his enemies fed him with pain. And it is what his enemies gave him every day. Every day it was this way. And of course, when we look in the gospel, <clears throat> we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees dogged him every day, didn't they? They were just looking for something to trip him up all the time. They were constantly rebutting him, constantly tempting him, constantly giving him situations where he would either get in trouble with them or the people or Rome. That's a lot of pressure. And our Savior experienced all those things. And folks, at this point, I think it's easy for us to say that truly He was a man of sorrow, wasn't He? That's just not a label that has no meaning. He knew what grief was. Folks, whatever grief that you have or have had, His grief was exponentially more than that. And that's why He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmity. Everybody understand that? You can't say of the Savior, well, He doesn't know how I feel. He does. And if you're talking about feeling, He has felt way more, abundantly more than you could even imagine that you could bear. Now the interesting thing about verses 8 and 9 is that there is something here that is untrue in other verses. We looked at verse 24. <clears throat> Do not take me away in the midst of my what? What's verse 24 say? Don't take me away in the midst of my days. We looked at verse 23. He has shortened my Days. We've looked at verse 11. My days are like this. We looked at verse 3 for my days. But folks, in verse 8, 
It's not plural, is it? What is it? It's singular. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Now that can refer, and there is reference to this, that you know, all of that day, all of his life was this way. But folks, perhaps he's talking about a particular day. Perhaps there is a singular day that was kind of at the apex of all this. And that day would have been Calvary. I want to close by turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew gives to us just a little glimpse into that particular day. And folks, I think that if we kind of think about it, was he reproached at the six trials? Was he mocked during those six trials? The answer to that is what? Absolutely. It was the height of the mockery. The Roman soldiers putting a robe on him, putting a reed in his hand, putting a crown of thorns on his head. What are they doing? They're mocking him. You say that you're a king. Here's your kingship. You say that you know truth. You don't know any truth at all. Prophesy to us. Tell us who hit you. Tell us who plucked the beard out of your face. But folks, on that day of the cross, look at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. They took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. You ever had anybody spit in your face? What would it be like to have the saliva of spit rolling down the sweat of your brow mingled with the blood of the thorns on your head? Mocking. What was he doing? I'm going to walk in the way of the Father. In this same chapter in Matthew, Matthew 27, if you go down to verse 38, it talks about the two robbers that were crucified with Him, one on the right and one on the left. We know from other passages that those two robbers, at least initially, were what? They were deriding Him. Well, if you're really the Son of God, then... Come down, save yourself, and save us also. Verse 39, And those passing by were hurling abuse at Him, wagging their heads and saying, You, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. Because he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Folks, can you see that this is the apex of it all? They mocked his promises. I will destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. That was a promise, wasn't it? They mocked his promises. They mocked his ability. If you're really the Son of God, save yourself. Could he have? He didn't. They mocked His promises. They mocked His ability. And in my mind, this was the worst. They mocked His trust. He trusted in God. Did He? He did. And folks, can you hear Him in His heart saying, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Can you see Him as a man praying that? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. Can you see that? Folks, suffering is not easy. But the Son of God took on humanity and He identified with us to this point that all of humanity's griefs and all of humanity's sorrows, He bore them. And folks, if you would just meditate that in a little while, it would make you ashamed not to call on His name to help you. Because if God the Father helped His Son, He will help His people. And then lastly, as you think about this, you you ought to sit back in breathlessness on the strength of of this man. Could you go through it sinless? Could you go through this sinless? Folks, we can't even go through something sinless that's easy. But He did. Even to the place when He said, My God, my God, why have you abandoned? He still stayed in the way. And folks, may God grant us that. None of us, none of us want any of us to go through sorrow and suffering in any shape, fashion, or form. But when it comes, and it will come, it will be filtered through His grace. 
He will give you the grace to bear it, although you may think you can't. But it will come. We keep walking. And we keep what? Praying. Oh God, be my help in time of trouble. Let's pray.